Well, this morning we're going to talk again about the Holy Spirit. And I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. Because Romans chapter 8 talks about the Holy Spirit really as much as any one chapter in the entire Bible. And so, I want you to see what God says about how His Holy Spirit ministers and serves us in our lives. So Romans chapter 8, I'm going to begin in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So this morning we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. Again, we're going to talk specifically about the leading of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit leads us, which is very interesting because it's been my experience that we talk about being led by the Holy Spirit in ways that the Bible doesn't talk about it, in ways that we don't really know what we mean by. We just end up talking about being led by the Spirit and we have this general assumption that whoever we're talking to is going to know what we mean. When in fact, we may not even know what we mean ourselves. So hopefully by the end of the morning, you're going to know what it means to be led by the Spirit. And not only know what it means to be led by the Spirit, but actually follow His lead. That's really what I hope will happen. This morning. But before we do that, I think it's probably good to step back a moment and try and be clear about what we're talking about. I, I uh, have assumed this before, but I think we need to ask who is the Spirit of God or who is the Holy Spirit? Okay, the Spirit of God is how it talks about it in Romans chapter 8. And we have to ask what are we talking about? We're talking about the Holy Spirit. Well, the first thing that you need to know when we're talking about the Holy Spirit is we are talking about God Himself. We will uh, talk about God the Father. We'll talk about Jesus or God the Son. And we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit or God the Spirit. And so there, the, the reason we believe that is that there are lots of places in the Bible where the Holy Spirit is doing what God does. I mean, throughout the Scripture it says that God created, but if you look very carefully at Genesis chapter 1, it says the Holy Spirit created. We have, uh, just last week, we saw in Romans chapter uh, 8, verses uh, 10 and 11, that the Holy Spirit uh, will raise, give life to our mortal bodies or raise us up when in fact we're told that the God raises us up on the last day. So the Holy Spirit is busy doing the work of God. 
God speaks, but often it's the Holy Spirit who is speaking as the, the prophets are writing the Holy Scriptures. So He does the things that are God. In Acts chapter 5, it talks about lying to the Holy Spirit in one place, and then just a couple of verses later it says, you lied to God. You have to say, well, who did I lie to? Well, you lied to God, the Holy Spirit. So we believe that He's God. The other thing that we believe about the Holy Spirit is that He is a person, not a force. He is not a feeling. He is not a, um, some sort of uh, vapor. He is a person. God the Holy Spirit is a person. He's a person that uh, can, you can interact with. He's a person that uh, he, he does what persons do. He, he teaches, He guides, He leads. He creates. He uh, is present with us. He does the things that persons do. And so, we, we treat Him as a person. So, if He's God and if He's a person, okay, then we end up with the, the historic Christian affirmation of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, you might say that's even when someone is baptized. We'll say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Putting the Holy Spirit really in that company assumes, number one, that He's a person. Number two, that He's God Himself. And so, uh, we affirm that the Holy Spirit is an actual person. And it tells us in Romans chapter 8 that He dwells within us. That one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is that He um, takes up residence in our lives so that, from, well, so that God is with us. You recall that really from the very beginning in the garden, God was with His people. His people rebelled, and then God promised Abraham that He was going to make of him a great nation, and He would be their God, and they would be His people. And they rebelled again. And then God made a new covenant where He made a promise that He would, in fact, dwell with them by His Spirit. And that's really what we have in Ezekiel chapter 36, where this new covenant promise of the Holy Spirit. I will put My Spirit within you. And so, what God is doing is what He did in the beginning. God with us. It's what He did in the Incarnation when Jesus came to live with us. God with us. It's what God will do forever in heaven when we will dwell with Him. And so, in the meantime, we have the Holy Spirit. God with us. God in us. And so He puts His Holy Spirit within us as part of His new promise, His new covenant. Jesus said the Holy Spirit's coming in John 14. And He said when the Helper, He called Him the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. So Jesus gives us a clue as to what we should expect from the Holy Spirit. We should expect that the Holy Spirit is going to, to be a teacher. He is going to um, remind us of the words of Jesus. 
Again, Jesus said a couple chapters later, He said, when the Spirit of truth... Notice the little shift in His name, right? When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you in all truth, for He'll not speak on His own authority. Which gives us a, a hint that, that the Holy Spirit is, you might say, the silent partner of the Trinity. He is the one who is behind the scenes. He's not speaking of His own authority. Rather, He is, he, he is coming when the Father sends Him. He is um, reminding us of the words of Jesus. They are The Father, Son, Holy Spirit are cooperating that we might understand and know and put into practice the things of Jesus. And so one of the one of the easiest, simplest ways of understanding the Holy Spirit is to recognize that his job, you might say, what he is doing is to point us to Jesus. Very simply. Here's what um, well, he, he points us to Jesus by the word of God. Excuse me. And so he reminds us, he brings it to memory, he teaches us God's word. And so if you want to be led by the Spirit, devote yourself to the Word of God. Here's what uh, John Stott says about it, which I think is just this is as good and as clear a statement about the the work of the Holy Spirit as any. He says the Holy Spirit is a reticent spirit. He doesn't willingly draw attention to himself. Rather, he prompts us to pray, Abba Father, which you'll see in our text. And thus witnesses to our filial or our our childlike relationship to God the Father. And above all, He glorifies Christ. He turns the bright beams of His searchlight upon the face of Jesus Christ. He is never more satisfied. I love this sentence. The Holy Spirit is never more satisfied than when the believer is engrossed in Jesus Christ. I hope you get that. The Holy Spirit is never more satisfied than when the believer is engrossed in Jesus Christ. We're not ever told necessarily to to pursue the Holy Spirit. to, To go after the Holy Spirit. To get more of the Holy Spirit. We're told to get more of Christ. To grow up into Christ. To to attain to Christ. And the, the way that we do that, the thing that helps us do that is the Holy Spirit. Which I'm just going to step back and say, do you hear people throw these words around all the time? There's a Spirit-filled church, right? Why do, they, why do people think it's a Spirit-filled church? Why, why do they think the, the Holy Spirit is there? Most of the time what people mean is because it's an emotional situation. Because people are expressive. Maybe because they're excited. I don't know that that's a measure. I don't know that's a measure of the Holy Spirit. The measure of the Holy Spirit is do they get Jesus? Do they love Jesus? Do they care about Jesus? Do they get Jesus through His Word? If they do, the Holy Spirit's there. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That you might get more of Jesus and that you might get more of Jesus through His Word. 
And so, the Holy Spirit cares about that. Okay, as part of the Trinity. He cares about that because the, the, the Father has sent Him not to speak on His own authority to say His own stuff, but to remind us of Jesus. So that when He's reminding us of Jesus and He's, and he's making clear God's Word for us, then the Holy Spirit is in the process of leading us, guiding us into all truth, uh, filling us. All of that relates us back to Jesus through His Word. And so, God the Holy Spirit, the Person, tells us in, in um, 8, 9, 10, and 11 that He dwells within us. L- look here at the ways that He's talked about here. This is really you know, this is what we talked about last week. However, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Isn't that interesting? Just He changes that out without missing a beat. You say, well, is He the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Christ? I want to say yes. Okay. In fact, it was the Spirit of truth a little bit ago, right? In John. Then He says, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And here's another name for Him. The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead. If He dwells in you, then He raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in us. And so, whether you call Him the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit who raised Him from the dead or the Spirit of truth, it's all the same person we call the Holy Spirit whose role it is to point us to Jesus and to make clear His Word. And so that's, hopefully that, that's enough introduction to know that when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about something really serious. We're talking about God with us. We're talking about God in us. We're talking about what God does for us by His agentry of the Holy Spirit. That's why it starts out in in verse 12. So then. So then what? So then because you have the Holy Spirit in you. Because He's giving you life. Because He's uh, going to one day raise you from the dead. Then, you need to know you're not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. If in fact the Holy Spirit dwells in you, then you're free. You're not under obligation anymore to the flesh. Okay, you remember, you remember that one of the things that happens when somebody trusts Jesus to be their Savior is that they are taken out of the old life and they are given new life in Christ. They are no longer in Adam. They're in Christ. They're no longer in the flesh. They're in the Spirit. And when that happens, you receive the Holy Spirit dwelling in you and you're free from that old life. See, this is important because we don't always feel free, do we? We're like, you know what? I just can't stop. I just can't help myself from sinning. And he says, you know what? No. That's not your situation anymore. You're no longer obligated 
to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Because if you do, you'll die. If you do, you'll die. So you're not a debtor to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But he never finishes that sentence. He never says, so you're a debtor then to the Spirit to live after the Spirit. He doesn't say that. We assume that. That this, this, this new obligation that we have is now to live a different kind of life empowered by the Holy Spirit. The new means of our life, the new thing that keeps us going is the Holy Spirit. We're no longer a debtor to the flesh. And so if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And then we get to this phrase that we throw around frequently. All who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And think about how you talk about this term. I felt the Spirit's leading. There, I, I, I had this holy hunch. Right? What is that? I mean, we, we think, what do we mean when we say led by the Spirit? I had a, a feeling that I should do it. I heard a still small voice. We have all kinds of descriptors for it. But what do we really mean when we say to be led by the Spirit? It's interesting that the phrase led by the Spirit is only used a couple other times in the entire Bible. One of them is in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So don't use, I was led by the Spirit in this way, right? Who fall into temptation and blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, the Spirit led me there. Well, probably not. Okay? Probably not. But, this is the only time outside of Paul's writings that it uses the phrase, led by the Spirit. He was led, but it is interesting, he was led by the Spirit into battle against Satan. Okay, just, I'm just going to point that out. That's what he's doing here in Matthew chapter 4. J.D. Greer, in his book, Jesus Continued, about the Holy Spirit, says the only thing worse than not being open to the spiritual leadership is elevating the subjective sense of it to a level that obscures the objective revelation that God's provided in His Word. To raise up my feeling about what the Holy Spirit's telling me to do so that it's on par with or above what God has actually said in His Word. Because if you think about it, when Jesus was led by the Spirit, what happened? I don't know. You know, he probably had a you know a feeling he should go out in the wilderness. And they have a feeling you should go without food for 40 days? What kind of feeling is that? Please don't give me that feeling. What, what is going on here? That's a thing that we don't really understand. What is the leadership of the Holy Spirit? I, mean, I, I, know, have, I know of churches that have split. And both sides claim to be led by the Spirit. How does that happen? I don't think it does happen, actually. 
But we have to be a little more careful about the way that we talk about the Holy Spirit. And so, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. What are we talking about when we talk about being led by the Spirit of God? So we're going to look at this sentence and I want to look at the same sentence really in Galatians chapter 5 in just a moment where it uses the same phrase and they both point us in the same direction so that we can know what it means to be led by the Spirit. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. The best clue is in the sentence right beforehand. But, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Put to death... So. If, I'm going, to, I'm going to suggest to you that to be led by the Spirit of God is to put to death the deeds of the body and thereby demonstrate that you are a child of God. To, let me say that again. To be led by the Spirit is to put to death the deeds of the body, and by doing so, prove that you are a child of God. Or, you say it another way, to be led by the Spirit is to do battle with the deeds of the body. To do battle with that old life. Not to sit there and say, well, you know, I sort of feel like I could get away with it and God will forgive me today. It doesn't really matter. To be led by the Spirit of God is to do battle with the old way of life. That's what he suggests here. Put to death. Who puts, them, who puts the deeds of the body to death? Who does that? Look, look what it says. I do that, right? You do that. How do we do it? By the Spirit. By The Spirit leads us. We follow the, the Spirit's leadership in this so that we put to death that He's the body. So, is it me or is it the Holy Spirit? Yes. He's my partner in getting rid of that old life. So, how exactly does this work? How hard do I have to work at this? Getting rid putting to death the deeds of the body. I, it's not necessarily a passive thing where I, because I was in, in, the, in the flesh, but now I'm in the Spirit, I can just let those things fall away. They'll just, their old life will just disappear. I, I wish that were the case. I so want that to be the case. But it's a little more active than that, isn't it? I need to, I need to put them to death. You know, I, I don't think, on the other hand, that this is sort of a, a self-punishment, self—you know—flagellation where you hurt yourself enough that somewhere I'm just going to kill it. I don't think it's that either. 
So somewhere, in partnership with the Spirit, following the leadership of the Spirit, I put to death the deeds of the body. So, um, Pastor Travis suggested that I illustrate it this way. So, if you don't like it, it's not my fault. It's not my family's fault. It's Travis's fault, okay? So, we have chickens in our backyard. Because we have chickens, we also have rats. Okay? Those rats, I'm just going to say, are from the old life. We do not want them here. And so, at first, I didn't know what was happening. We We have these chickens. All of a sudden, these holes are starting to appear all around our chicken run. And I'm not liking it, but I never see anything. It's like this invisible you know, thing is making holes in our yard and starting to bother us. Well, we figured out, uh, actually one of us saw them at dusk, that there were rats. So, I thought, hmm, I wonder if those rats will just go away on their own. Okay? Just going to say they didn't. I tried that. They didn't. But think about that. Isn't that what we do? With, I think those old behaviors, that old life is going to go away on its own. They didn't. So I decided that I'm going to, I'm going to work a little harder at this. So I went to Home Depot. And I bought rat traps. So the rat traps that I bought are just a big version of the mouse trap. So they're big. Okay? And the bar that comes and snaps them is like, you don't want that to get on your hand or your foot or anything like that. So I'm thinking, haha, I got these guys. I'm so totally going to get this. Well, I, I set them. Next day I go out. They're, they're all snapped. I don't have a rat in a place. What's going on? I do it again. Same thing. Then, then one snaps and it gets drugged down to one of these holes and, and the rat pulls it off. And I'm thinking, I now don't just have rats. I have rodents of unusual size. So what am I going to do now, right? But see, isn't that the truth? That's how a lot of us are about this old life. I have bigger problems than everybody else has, right? I have, <laughs> I have an old life of unusual size that I just can't get rid of. So I decided what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to call an exterminator. And so I called an exterminator. Exterminator brought a different kind of rat trap. So one that sort of catches them like that. Brings this other rat trap out. Very next morning, his traps, his traps are sprung and no rat. Now all of a sudden I'm getting really worried because my exterminator's not helping me. And anyway, my exterminator then left for Arizona. <laughs> and he left me, he left me a raccoon trap. So the first thing that I did is I caught two raccoons. <laughs> and then the next thing I did is I caught seven squirrels. And I also caught three rats. Okay. But it occurred to me, this is over the period now of a couple months. And I'm doing the math. I, I'm thinking the rats probably reproduce faster than three per month. 
So I, I somehow need to elevate my game in getting rid of this rat. But and again, I just don't want to lose the point here for telling you about my <laughs> backyard. The point being that this whole time I am doing active battle <laughs> with those rats. I'm doing everything I can to get rid of them. And I'm, you know, I'm only moderately successful. Okay, I think that that's what this is. Put to death the deeds of the body and you'll live. Okay, do constant battle. Pay attention to getting rid of that old life. Right? I just am, just am going to say I did get some poison now and I'm real optimistic they're not going to survive this. But it's, ta- but it's taken, it's taken an exerted effort over time and I think I'm finally going to win it. And that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the deeds of the Spirit. Or excuse me, the deeds of the body that we put to death and we do it by the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Okay? I mean, I really, um, I really think that that's what it means to be led by the Spirit. Because if you are only, only this, a, a child of God, is going to put out that kind of effort to get rid of that old life. If by the Spirit you put to death, death the deeds of the body, you will live. So here in, in Galatians chapter 5 is the other place this talks about. And I, and I want you to notice, I just want you to notice what's highlighted here. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another. See, I can't have the rats and the chickens coexisting. They're opposed to one another. They eat the same food, right? I'm not going to have the spirit and the flesh coexisting here. They're opposed to one another because this old life keeps me from doing the things I want to do. That's the issue. So, what do I do about it? Oh, I, I need to get led by the Holy Spirit. Because if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. You're not under the obligation to try and do something in order to, to eradicate this old life. It's taken care of by the Spirit. And so now, as a new creation, in this new frame of life, the Holy Spirit leads me into battle. And then notice what it says here. For the works of the flesh. This is what you're doing battle with. This is what you're getting rid of in your life. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Okay, the list isn't exhaustive. Things like these that belong to the old life, those are the things I'm getting rid of. I'm led by the Spirit of God to do that because I know that those things are opposed to this new life I want to live in Christ. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is, this is, is serious. Um, this battle is serious. In Romans it says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Right Here it says, if I do these things, in other words, if I don't put them to death, then 
I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, same sort of thing. Then he goes on to say, but the fruit of the Spirit. So again, we have the Spirit living within me, leading me to do battle over here, but He's also leading me and He's going to produce in my life love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So I'm not worried about the law because the Spirit leads me to do battle against the old life. So what it means to be led by the Spirit of God. So this isn't, this isn't uh, very flashy. Because you, you re- do recall that the Spirit's invisible and you, you, you're not going to see Him. You're not always going to feel Him. He's going to be there. says He dwells in you. If you're a child of God, He lives in you. So you're, you're not always going to know or feel it. But, All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. He leads us to do battle with the old life and He confirms, by doing that, He confirms to us that we're children of God. So this is different. This is is a lot different than what we have said before when we say, I felt led by the Spirit to, to go to such and such a college. I felt led by the Spirit to marry her. I felt led by the Spirit to um, study philosophy. I don't know what the, how the Spirit leads you. But we, we use those words. We use those words. And we don't have any precedent in the Bible to use those to talk like that. If you're going to be led by the Spirit... What He's going to lead you to do is, is to put away, put to death the old life. When He leads you to put to death the old life, you're being led by the Spirit. And you can go to whatever college you want. And you can study whatever you want. And you can change jobs if you want. Because you're doing what the Spirit leads you to do. Again, I was talking to Travis about this, and we were we were just talking about how how much people use this phrase, and when this is the only scriptural use of it, we use it for all these other things, and we just said, you know what, we're going to try our best, aren't we? And what are people going to do? They're going to go out in the foyer after the service. They're going to say, I don't know whether we should, you know, go to Red Robin or to Olive Garden. I I feel kind of led for to Italian food. You know, I just so all all I want you to do, right? First of all, is to think about the way you're using that language and be careful about it. Second of all, I want you to be led by the Spirit. I want you, I want the Holy Spirit to confirm to you you belong to Jesus because you're not okay with that old life. You want to put it to death. You want this new life. That's what the Spirit's leadership looks like. He creates in me this overwhelming desire for more of Jesus. For more of the new life. For more freedom from the bondage and obligation of the flesh. And when the Spirit does that, then I have life. Then I'm being led by the Spirit. Then I don't have those old questions about, hmm, I wonder if I belong to Jesus or not. 
So yes, I want you to be careful about your language, but more than that, I want you to be led by the Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit intends to do, and that is to, to lead you to put to death the old life. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now this is the other thing that you need to, to recognize as far as this work of the Holy Spirit in your life. This is, this is wonderful. It's so wonderful. I'm going, to leave, I'm going to ask you to come back next week because it's going to be the main topic next week. But all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. What the Holy Spirit is doing is including you in God's family. And He's making you convinced that you belong to Him. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, to as many as receive Him, to those who believe in His name, He gave the right to become the child of God. Even to those who believe in His name. The Holy Spirit confirms that to you. He, he draws you to Jesus to say, that's what I want. I want to believe in Christ. And He confirms that to you. So much so then that in verse 15, this is just so great. He says, you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Or Daddy, Father. We are included in this intimate family relationship with God the Father. So that when you pray, it's our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be Your name. It's not our, you know, our Creator, or our, it's not even our um, foreign, our distant and powerful God. It's our Father. And we've been included in God's family and brought close by the Holy Spirit so that He keeps us in what we might say in the Spirit and helps us get rid of the old life so that we are close to God. So the beauty of having the Holy Spirit is, okay, He's a silent partner. The beauty of having the Holy Spirit is that the silent partner draws you into communion and delight with God Himself. So that your heart is satisfied and happy with who God the Father is. You can only be Delighted and happy with who God the Father is if you have trusted God the Son. As many as believe in His name, He gives the right to become the children of God. And what does the Holy Spirit do? That's what the Holy Spirit does. He's not asking. He doesn't want to get full billing. He doesn't need a byline on it. He just wants you to love God and fall in love with Jesus. And so... That's the beauty of having the Holy Spirit. And you have the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is just 
the, the whole thing comes full circle. I just want you to realize uh, when you're when you're looking at the Holy Spirit, when you're thinking, oh, I've just got to understand the Holy Spirit. I got to, you know, I need more of the Holy Spirit. I, I want some of the the, the uh, miracles and signs and wonders and all. You, you just get lost. But when you recognize the Holy Spirit is all about your um, belonging to God the Father because of God the Son, then it comes full circle. Because what does the Holy Spirit do? He confirms that for you. Because He is given to you by the Father to remind you of the words of the Son in fulfillment of the promise of the New Covenant. I will put My Spirit within them. It is this New Covenant that is sealed with the blood of Jesus. The whole thing is to exalt Jesus. And make you fall in love with the Father. Really, it really is. And so, one of the things that we're going to do to remind ourselves is, and I, I don't, well, I do care. I was going to say I don't care, but I do care. We're going to, we're going to remind ourselves of this by celebrating the Lord's Supper. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it is the fulfillment of the new covenant. Uh, Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood. That new covenant said, God the Father will put the Spirit within us. So that that Spirit will remind us of the words of Jesus. And bring to remembrance everything that we need to know in order to live in this world as those who belong to Jesus. And so I was going to say, I don't care whether you enjoy God the Father or God the Son or God the Holy Spirit here as you celebrate communion. And I, and I guess I really don't. But the point of it is that the Holy Spirit given to us in this new covenant by the Father points us to Jesus who is the fulfillment of God's promise. I mean, it's just the whole thing is this wonderful circle whereby the Holy Spirit confirms to us that we belong to God. And so it's my hope and prayer that as we celebrate communion, that will be what happens to you. You'll enjoy this communion with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's why we call it communion. And then we'll enjoy it together but mostly that your heart will know that you belong to Him. So we're going to, uh, during the next uh, song, get up out of your chair and come to the two tables in the front or the two in the back. There's one in the balcony. And get the elements. And return to your seat. It's probably best if you come in uh, through the middle and out through the outside. That'll make the best... Uh, Logistics there, but I hope that you'll, uh, you know, do it with enough time and reflection to really enjoy the fact that that God, at the cost of His Son, has included you in His family, and I trust you'll be reminded by the Holy Spirit of that truth. Let's let's pray together.